On today's podcast from the archives, we talk with Ty Nix, who is the defensive coordinator at the University of Texas, San Antonio. Coach Nix joined us prior to the 2019 season to talk about how he builds his unit on defense. You're going to enjoy this one and some of the stories Coach has and his connections to big names from the past, like Brett Favre, Jimbo Fisher, and Steve Spurrier. Coach Nix is doing a great job now at UTSA. Enjoy this one. We continue on with our training camp series, and joining us today on the podcast is the outside linebackers coach for Ole Miss, Coach Ty Nix. Coach Nix, great to have you here today. Coach, it's a pleasure to be on, and I'm so excited about the start of training camp and get an opportunity to be on your podcast before we get kicked off. Well, absolutely. We're really excited to have you here. I appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, these last few days before guys report, it's a little time to get things cleaned up as a staff, but also spend a little time with the family. So I do appreciate you taking the time and helping out coaches here. Thank you. Well, Coach, uh, you've had a, a, an incredible background here in your 24 years, um, been able to coach with some uh, iconic names along the way, guys like Steve Spurrier, Houston Nutt, um, been able to coach at some places where you guys were uh, ranked as you as uh, leading the defense, as the defensive coordinator ranked in the country. So um, just an outstanding job up to this point. Um, talk to us a little bit just about everything that's that's brought you to this point and kind of the the key points or most memorable things for you. Well, the, the biggest thing an impact on my, my coaching career, my life, other than my parents, was my high school coach. Uh, I always wanted to be like him. I idolized him, and he was nothing but a winner. He never had a losing season. His name was Wyman Townsend, and uh, he just turned 90 yesterday, and we celebrated his birthday. But he made a, such an impact on me at an early age on what it takes to be a coach and the influence that you have on young guys and I was fortunate enough to go to college and played at the University of Southern Mississippi uh, with the name of a guy named Brett Favre. Favre was a winner, and uh, he he <laughs> he took us a lot of places. We won a lot of big games. We beat Alabama and Auburn my first year, true freshman year, and they called us Alabama State champs. Of course, at that time it wasn't a Troy, it wasn't a UAB, it wasn't these other schools. Uh, we're playing football on the Division One level, but. You know, my career started out, um, you know, very small, very, you know, on a small stage, and it kind of grew. I was fortunate enough to have a chance to work for Coach Jeff Bauer, who's probably one of the best Hall of Fame coaches that's not in the Hall of Fame in my eyes. Uh, gave me an opportunity after I finished playing to get in the coaching world, and the rest was kind of history. I elevated from an assistant D-line coach, a D-tackles coach, to a secondary coach, to a linebacker coach. And eventually, after I coached all positions on the defensive side of the ball, he gave me an opportunity to coordinate. And I was the defensive coordinator at the age of 29, the youngest in the country. And at an early stage, um, I was one of the finalists for the Frank Brewers Award. So I had a chance to coach a lot of good players who give you an opportunity to uh, achieve some of those accolades, but it also makes you look a little bit better than what you are. But uh, all in all, I had a lot of success early. Had a chance to go work for Steve Spurrier. That was a, one of the greatest experiences I've had, uh, learning a lot from him as well. He's a Hall of Fame coach for sure and, uh, you know, a national championship coach. So I had an opportunity to work out in the Houston Nut. 
you know, and then I had an opportunity to work with Kevin Sumlin and Jimbo Fisher, two guys that I think, you know, have had their moments and uh, are at prestigious universities. And my last season, I worked at uh, Virginia Tech with Justin Fuente, who I think is a coach that's, you know, on the verge of being uh, one of those elite coaches as well. But I've been fortunate, you know, not only there with Fuente, was working with the great Bud Foster, you know, who who's probably one of the best, if not the best in the game as well. So I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of great coaches, a lot of good players, and they've given me an opportunity to continue to succeed in uh, in this profession. That's the great part of this game and, and, you know, this part of the podcast and talking to guys about just uh, their influences and the guys they've been able to work with and just an incredible list of guys that you have there. But but ultimately, that's it. You know, this profession grows um, by coaches helping each other, by being able to learn from coaches. And, you know, I, I hope that's something that continues. I know it's easier than ever to learn with, with the Internet and those kinds of things, but I think there's so much to be said still about, you know, being able to get together with somebody and sit down and talk ball with them and, um, you know, whether that's at clinics or informally, I, I still think the personal side needs to be part of this game because there's too many things to miss out on just saying, oh, I'm going to go watch this video on it. Well, you're, you're right about that. Uh, sometimes it's uh, guys schematically that's more advanced or they're more experienced in certain areas. And then it's just a fellowship of, uh, you know, building that fraternity, that bond between other coaches. I know a guy that I talk to often on is Gary Patterson, and we started a relationship from competing against each other in Conference USA. Of course, they've moved on now, and our paths have went in different directions, but it's not a moment that I don't hesitate where if I'm, you know, have a difficult situation or a question about something schematically, I pick up the phone and call him, and that's just to name one guy in particular. Uh, coaches are, you know, it's a brotherhood. It's a fellowship. It's uniting as one. I, I know my last job, actually the last two jobs, had I not had the relationships with some of the assistant coaches on the staff, I probably wouldn't have been hired. So those relationships, not only on the field, but off the field makes a difference in you know, I'm not a great guy, great guy at networking and picking up the phone and, you know, writing letters from time to time. But I do know that I have a circle that I'm associated with, and those guys know the importance that we take care of each other and try to help each other grow in every aspect of the game. Well, Coach, there's a, a guy on the coaching staff at Ole Miss with you that you know really well. Your brother, Derek, is the running backs coach, which means – not only do you guys get to coach together, but by the nature of the positions you coach, the linebackers and the running backs, you guys probably square off in practice quite a bit. Well, you know, you're right. Naturally, those two positions are more competitive. They're very similar in a lot of aspects. One just carries the ball, and the other one gets to tackle the ball carrier. But uh, the thing that's neat about it, Derek was a running back in college. I was a linebacker in college, so. We got a lot of carryover. We got a lot of war stories, but our kids know to compete, and uh, they they do a lot of things against each other on a daily basis, just trying to help us get better as a football team. But you're right, it is special to have my brother here to be a part of a staff. This is actually the third time in my career that we've been on the same staff, dating all the way back to the early 2000s at the University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, the thing that's great about it is my parents get to come to one place to see us both perform. They don't have to choose weekends. 
it's great on our families, getting time to spend time with each other. And, you know, it's just a blessing because a lot of people don't have this opportunity to uh, do such a thing. And we've been truly blessed by being on the same staff. Yeah, Coach, that's a neat story. And um, certainly great for your parents, too, to, to be able to come and see their sons uh, coach together. I'm sure you guys have uh, – have a lot of memories that you'll build here, even in this next season. And that's what's right upon us here. Your guys reporting in a couple of days here. And, uh, you know, before we got going, I, I, I said it's, it's always the, like the kind of the anxiousness of it. It's like, you know, a kid waiting for Christmas. When are the guys going to report? You've been in all the staff meetings. You guys have done all your prep all summer long. And it's, it, it's just waiting for those guys to show up on day one. So for you, as you sit down with them the first time and get your linebackers together, in your position meeting, what's the message you want to deliver that, you know, these, these guys need to be on the same page, of course, but, you know, you want them starting off here with uh, a focus, with enthusiasm, and you want that to carry through the season. So what's going to be the first things you say to those guys? Well, you know, <clears throat> the first thing I want to overemphasize and I'll get my point across is that I'm there for them, that I care for them, that I want them to be the very best in every aspect of their life, from academically, from socially, from athletically. I am there to help them achieve all their goals and dreams. You know, I'm not one of those coaches who are afraid to tell their players that they love them. You know, I share that with them as well. And that I'm going to be very demanding, that I'm going to be very tough, that I won't try to get the best out of them on every day. And it's never personal. It's only about making them and helping them become the best that they can be in all areas. And, you know, once we get that first line of establishment of that I care for them first, that I want them to succeed, then we get into the philosophy of the program, the philosophy from the head coach, the philosophy of the defense, and the things of that nature. But I think sometimes these things are taken uh, for granted and they're out of, you know, not in particular the correct order. But it always starts with me with the heart. It starts with me with the family. It starts with me with the love and the communication that, we have to be on the same page in everything that we do. And my goal for them is to be the best. Coach Luke has certainly worked with you guys as a coaching staff to establish this is what our culture is going to be. But ultimately, it's really getting those behaviors out of, of your players, those things that really do show the culture. So as you as you guys get into camp early on, is there anything you do to make sure that uh, you're recognizing those things, that you're calling out those positives of here's, you know, the guys doing it right. Here's an example of this aspect of whatever it might be as part of your culture. Do you guys do anything to recognize that informally or formally? You know, I think uh, the culture of your position room starts with the position coach. Uh, it starts with the recruiting. Uh, the head coach trusts us and allows us to have a lot of input on who's the type of players uh, that we're selecting for our position. Uh, the skill set has to be there, of course. They have to have certain intangibles about playing the game. But obviously the mindset, the uh, temperament, the attitude, a lot of those things can be shaped and formed in the position room. And uh, for me, I think a lot of my guys have taken on the personality of the position coach. And uh, 
you know, we try to establish a tough, physical, powerful, you know, uh, appearance when we hit the field. And we try to let those things speak by the way we play the game. You know, football is a very, very, very violent sport, and we try to play violent within the rules. We want to make sure that you understand that we're here to play and we're going to play until this thing is over and we're going to give you everything that we have. I always tell my guys, we may not be the biggest in statue, but we may have the biggest heart and the way we play the game should make everyone proud and be an example when we walk off the field. So the things that I look for on a daily basis is how do we strain our bodies? How are we uh, giving everything we have on each particular play? How smart are we? Are we playing with fundamentals? Uh, are we playing with intelligence? Are we understanding the situation? So all those things <clears throat> build into the culture of the position, and it carries over throughout the defense. And, you know, I think it's contagious. I think we bring an attitude of work, uh, being an opportunity to work at Virginia Tech, the LPD, the lunch pail defense. Just bring your hard hats every day. You know, let's go to work. This is a blue-collar school, you know, mentality when we come to practice uh, day in and day out. Uh, from the same thing of the land sharks. Uh, when I was here, the early parts of uh, uh, early parts of 2000, you know, the land sharks was basically about eat. You know, getting an opportunity to feed not only yourself but your family and the things that it takes to survival in life. You know, those guys who are fighting to survive, they strain. They give everything that they have to uh, be able to provide for themselves and their families. And I think that's our culture. I think that's our mindset. That's our attitude. And you should see that in our performance in the way we practice on a daily basis. Coach, the outside linebackers, the position you coach, has always been a, a point of, of stress for an offense, right? Those those guys are dual responsibility players. They're, they're out there on the edge. Um, a lot of responsibility for your guys, and the stress has become greater with, you know, the, the advent of and proliferation of the RPO. So as you look at, and I'm sure you guys see a ton of it in, in your own practices here coming up with, uh, you know, Rich Rod on the other side of the ball coming at you guys. Um, how do you prepare your guys to really play that disciplined defense that's, that's not going to open up those big plays that the offense is looking for if, if they can make your guys wrong? Well, you know, the first thing is we have to take our players out of a conflict situation. Uh, teams, uh, it seems like every offense now has uh, some form of RPO in their package. And we try to <clears throat> keep those players out of that conflict where they either committed to the run or their pass defender first. Uh, the second thing is an opportunity to practice against it on a uh, daily basis and the tempo that goes along with it we see from our offense. It gives us a chance to uh, perfect our craft and to continue to work on the things that uh, the offense is looking for in the reads. The thing that stands out about the outside backers is a lot of times they'll read us in the process of the run or pass. And our guys have to be smart enough to understand in particular calls, we can give the illusion of doing one thing and hopefully invite them or bait them into doing some things we would like them to do. And we try to take charge of the situation instead of the offense. But it's no doubt um, the better athlete, the better knowledge that you have of the game, the, the better chances it is for you to make plays. And those outside backers who can stay on the field versus the spread 
are, are, are very rare because most people go with five and six defensive backs where we're, we're a scheme that we're going to leave our backers. Uh, depending on their performance and the way they play, we're going to leave them on the field a lot more, and hopefully that can be to our advantage. Yeah, it's almost becoming necessary today as you hear one of the trends in offense developing is, is to keep that same personnel group on the field. A lot of people are focused on the 11 personnel groups where they have that dynamic guy who could come in and create that extra gap, but then also spread out in space and try to get a mismatch. So for you guys with, you know, the outside linebackers, uh, a, a lot today are still those hybrid players, but, you know, probably a little bit bigger than safeties, not necessarily as big as your defensive ends or your edge rushers, but um, being able to keep them on the field, I'm sure, provides an advantage to you guys as well. Well, it does. It gives us a chance to keep our best athletes out there. And certain situations dictate uh, maybe our outside linebacker going more to defensive end in certain schemes and certain situations. But uh, the better athletes you are, of course, the opportunity for you to stay on the field uh, lengthens itself. And that's one thing that we do have. We have some very athletic guys at the outside backer position and we are trying to create mismatches for the defense instead of us trying to fit the offense every time. So uh, a lot of that will depend on what coverage is called and what we're asked to do in that particular scheme of things on that defensive call. Coach, you mentioned baiting the offense into making the wrong decision. And as typical with most offensive coordinators, if you can make them wrong a few times, they may go away from uh, that, that particular play and uh, try to focus on something else. But I really believe, uh, as with any skill on the field, you have to teach it. So what are the tips you give to your guys, or what things are you doing to teach your guys really to uh, to be good at that, to, to get good at baiting the quarterback into making the wrong decision? Well, the first thing starts with knowledge, understanding who is he reading on this particular play, who is his eyes focused on. And once you understand uh, the dynamics of the offense or what they're trying to do, then you're able to uh, maybe uh, manipulate or, or dictate the, the situation that takes place. And uh, the kid that's more knowledgeable, that has more savvy, that has more instincts, understands that, you know, on this particular call in this situation, if I do A, then the offense should do B. And, you know, just knowing that and having that in your back pocket gives you a chance to uh, maybe manipulate the situation a little bit more or, you know, force the outcome that you're looking for from the defensive standpoint. Um, the thing that we do is we practice it. We we have to practice so much fundamentally and it's so much offense, but we try to stay consistent with our techniques and doing different things so the kids can can continue to get better with repetitions in, day in, and day out. And, uh, you know, the kids with the most savvy, sometimes the offense makes mistakes. You say, Coach, you weren't supposed to throw that. We say, I agree. That's why it was almost an interception. So, you know, they make mistakes <laughs> as well. And uh, we just try to teach our kids, here's the basis of their offense. Here's the concepts of it. Here's what we're going to try to take away from on this particular call. And if we do these things, we can have a positive play defensively. Coach, I think as the game has evolved here and whether that's the spread environments or it's the RPO, it really has become more of a, a thinking man's game, a chess match, and that's kind of what you're doing with your guys there. But you also have to have that physicality that's a part of it. So while you, you want them out there understanding and being able to do some things that 
you know, make the offense wrong. At the end of the day, these guys have to play physical. So for you, uh, how does that come into play in your individual periods? And, you know, what are some of the typical things you work on on the physical side? Of well, well, it starts with pad level. And uh, it starts with hand placement and being violent with your hands. Uh, we talk about all our power being in our hips and our, and our lower uh, half of our body and exploding through ball carriers, exploding through blockers, seeing our hands into the uh, breastplate of the guy that we're going against, you know, neutralizing him, stalemating him, throwing him away, and just being violent. So we overemphasize from the weight room of the strength and conditioning program which I got Paul Jackson does a great job with our kids. You know, they gain confidence in the weight room. They get stronger. They get bigger. They get faster. And then we take those things over into position drills where we get to work against ourselves first, and then we'll get to work against the offensive side of the ball, whether it be against the tight ends or the offensive tackles or the running backs. We get an opportunity to, you know, establish the uh, playing ground, establish the pad level, establish the intensity that these things should be done with. And when we physically get out there on the field against our counterparts, we know that we're in an advantage in certain aspects because of the training and the things that we put together on the field prior to. You know, one thing that's uh, unique about our guys, uh, most of them are 6'3 plus and they're like 235 or 240 plus. So, you know, we feel like we have a size matchup that creates problems for the offense, and uh, it's up to us to utilize our abilities and our strengths, you know, to uh, expose the weaknesses when we hit the field. Coach, that, that part you mentioned there, the, the hips and the hands, right, the, that chain that has to work together to be able to get that power from your hips through the hands when you're defeating a block – I know we don't have any visuals here, but could you talk us through, you know, that specific technique that you look at and, and want your guys to, to focus on the little things that make that strike powerful, that you engage the hips. I, I was talking with uh, a strength and conditioning coach um, uh, last week, and he talked and he, he was going through a little presentation. He talked about the hips, uh, average human being be, being able to uh, support 6,000 pounds of force versus the back, which is about 400 pounds. So we want those hips engaged. What kinds of things are you doing, or what's the specific coaching points you're working on to get those guys to, to really leverage their hips? Well, you know, there again, that starts in recruiting. Uh, the more flexible guys, the more athletic guys, the guys who can sink their hips naturally gives them somewhat of an advantage. Uh, there's several drills that we do in the offseason. Uh, starting in a weight room that tries to create more hip flexibility. But the thing that we do on the uh, field, probably more position-specific, is uh, blow delivery, where we get uh, possibly in the chute, so we get on the sleds, and we get in a great football position where we sink our hips, and we teach to explode and come out of the balls of our feet, you know, to get all our cleats in the ground and to come from the ground up and teaching them that that's where all our power is. Our power comes from our feet to our hips. And basically our hands are strictly the the device that we use to create separation, to create the contact between us and the uh, the offensive player that establishes, establishes the pad level 
and the separation that it takes to not only attack the blocker, but also defeat the blocker and disengage to go on and get to the ball carrier. So, you know, it's several things from the shoots to just being in normal football drills to getting them in a great football position that we work on, on explosion out of the hips. And we do that every day. We do some form of hip explosion where, uh, <clears throat> because it's all about blow delivery, it's all about pad level, it's all about leverage. And the guys who can sink their hips and explode almost like the, the speed of a snake. You know, when we say a snake's about to attack, that's what we think about when we get our hips cold and we're about to explode through the ball carrier and or the blocker. So we just overemphasize it and we video it and we teach it and we, we talk about being in great football position and those are some things that it requires if you're going to have great hip explosion. I know more and more we've really focused on the technique of the tackle and a way to to help um, – you know, take some of the risk out of it, right? We don't want guys leaving their feet. Uh, we want guys, you know, especially in practice, staying on their feet. Uh, are there any particular drills that, that you work in the tackling or coaching points you make in the tackle to, that, you know, again, keeps, keeps the leverage of their hips behind them? Because as soon as you launch your body, you lose all that power, and, and certainly a, a, a big running back or even receiver is going to be able to shed you. So, what are some of the techniques or coaching points you focus on in that regard? Well, we teach several different tackle, tackle uh, techniques. Some uh, are more profile tackles when we're facing the, the ball carrier up, uh, possibly in an A-gap, B-gap type situation. And then we have a lot of different angle tackles where we're pinning the hip, their leg, their shoulder, or uh, whether it's the road tackle. So obviously tackling has different forms and different techniques uh, depending on which one you're using on that particular play. The key coaching point, and I overemphasize the key coaching point on every tackle that we teach our kids is see what you hit. As long as you keep your eyes and your head up, basically your neck bowed back, you should always have a chance to prevent not only injury to yourself, but to the ball carrier as well. And, you know, as we get ready to start fall camp in the next couple of days and before we put on the pads, we will do a team demonstration. Uh, Coach Luca picked myself or one of the other defensive coaches, and we will teach the proper tackling technique and the things that we want to see every time we make a tackle. And the most important aspect of that is seeing what you hit. You know, where guys create issues is when they drop their head and when they lead with the crown of the helmet or things of that nature. So as long as you you have your eyes up and you're seeing the target, uh, injury, injury should be at a very minimum. You know, of course, in this game, all things are possible, but we feel like that's the, the most safest way of teaching any type of tackle that we will use in a ball game. Coach, making the right decisions about who gets on the field and, and how much is so important to our jobs as coaches. It really, you know, we have to be right on that because if, if, if we're not doing that right, if we're not effective with it, if, if we're not good with feedback, uh, it starts to chip away at our culture of our position group and then that chips away at the culture of the team. So a lot re relies on that evaluation process. So whether that's formal or informal, what kinds of things are you doing here, especially through camp, to evaluate playing time, evaluate depth chart, and those kinds of things? 
Oh, I think that's fun. That's easy um, for us uh, at the linebacker position. We say, um, you know, what we put on film is who we are, and that your actions speak so loud that I can't hear what you say. So actually, the guys who go out and perform on a high level on the practice field, if they're if they're uh, executing the defense, if they're doing what we ask them to do at a high level and making plays, I can't keep you off the field. I tell these kids, I want to play you. I would love to put you in the game. And what determines that is how you practice. How do I perform in these type of situations? Uh, I think it's only fair to the kid that I give you a chance. If you perform well on the practice field, then you earn that right to have an opportunity to play the football game. And, you know, I tell the same thing with recruits. I say, hey, I'm recruiting you hoping that you're better than the guy that I'm playing with. But I can't promise you that you'll start. I can't promise you that you'll play. You'll determine those things by the way you practice, the way you do things when given the opportunity. And, of course, the guy who performs well on a consistent basis earns that right to go out there first and uh, so far and so far. So, actually, I think it's pretty easy, and I'm pretty honest with you guys about it. And We all get to watch the film together, and uh, they understand the expectation level and the things that will keep them off the field and the things that allow them to play on the field. So, you know, for us and for me, it's been very fortunate that I've kept that philosophy for, for most of my career that, you know, practice practice earns playing time or an opportunity to play. And the way you practice uh, determines how much uh, opportunity you're going to get on Saturdays. Coach, you've had the opportunity to learn and grow uh, through this game with some incredible guys and you're doing some great things yourself there in, in uh, your position, your role at Ole Miss. But if you look at everything you do as a coach, and I said, Coach, what's the one thing that really gives your guys the winning edge? What would that be? Uh, communication. I think communication is critical. I think that's uh, important in any relationship. I think that's important in any position on the field that we have to be on the same page in everything that we're trying to get accomplished. And I think uh, what happens when we get on different pages, we get in a situation where uh, the vision gets clouded. It gets an opportunity where other uh, parents, other outside influences clutters the the vision of what we're trying to get accomplished. And when you have those types of things that take place, it makes it very difficult. So, regardless of uh, whatever we're trying to accomplish. And obviously it's something that towards the winning culture, the winning nature, the winning on the field. It has to be a clear, clear understanding, clear communication on this is how we're going to do it and this is the approach and this is the process. And understanding that the process, the, the process will take us through it as they enjoy it and embrace it that good things can happen on the very end of it. Coaches, you can follow Coach on Twitter, at Coach Tyrone Nix, that's N-I-X. Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time here uh, in the preseason, and best of luck to you and the Rebels in 2019. Coach Keith, it's been a pleasure being on, and I hope uh, I've been able to help someone out there in the profession or some student athlete, but I tell you, just to have an opportunity to be on your show with so many other great coaches and uh, be along with that group, I surely do appreciate it.
Thanks again for joining us on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes starting next month, as well as some sprinkled in here and there as we go through October. Check out our new home for the podcast at coachandcoordinator.com. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five star for rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It helps the podcast.